0: If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honour, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Interesting, hey. Because serving Jesus is not something we do to help the church out. It's something because it's an honour to serve the great God that we love. And I've never served Jesus out of have to. I've served Jesus out of love to. A few weeks ago, I was praying at home, and the Holy Spirit said, "You need to tell people I'm the Lord of Lords, not the landlord." <laughs> and I thought, "Really? Okay. What's the landlord?" I thought, sort of, "It's sort of... I think I've wrote it down here somewhere." Here we are, you know, because sometimes we think you know, when I was growing up, serving Jesus, you know, you have to make Jesus Lord of your life. Jesus, I'll love Africa, so you don't send me there. You know, I'll love Cambodia, so you won't send me there. All the places I didn't want to go and be a missionary, I'll love them because if I don't like them, that's where God will send me. And we had this fear of God that God would not want to send us uh, to the places we love. And, And we sometimes see Jesus as the landlord rather than the Lord of Lords. And just the other day I was praying at home and the Lord said this to me, a landlord is about contract. But the Lord of Lords is about a covenant. The landlord is about duty. But the Lord of Lords is about devotion. The landlord is about obligation. But Lord of Lords is about revelation. I serve God because, as I said this morning, when you see deity, you'll find your identity. And then you'll have clarity, find your destiny, have authority and live in victory. Why wouldn't you want to serve a God like that? And I so tonight want to encourage you with some prophetic pictures that the Lord's given me. And some of them have only just happened today or or yesterday while I was at home at the house with the guys. And and I want to share what the Lord dropped into my heart. But, you know, a a few months ago, I was flying again to Brisbane. I've been to Brisbane about 10 times in the last uh, short period of time. And I was flying to Brisbane and the Holy Spirit spoke to me after the stewardess. I tried to book exit row because I got sort of a bit of a tummy and I you know, I want to bring the tray down and I don't want it to sort of be on a lean. And so you know, I like the extra leg room. And, uh, and, but the trouble is when you are in exit row, they always tell you this. If you hear the pilot say, evacuate, 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 are you willing to pull down those handles and push out if there's no fire? If you don't see any fire out there or any sort of water or whatever, then you've got to rush out onto the wings. And, but you've got to hear the words, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. And I hear it every time. I could probably do it off by heart if I really concentrate about it. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you know, sometimes churches and Christians go through turbulence. And what happens is instead of the pilot saying evacuate, evacuate, we listen to the voice of the other passengers. And the other passengers on the plane going, this is going to hit the ground. This is going to crash. And you hear evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. And the word of the Lord should be evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. Churches go through turbulence. The kingdom of God goes... Through turbulence, but we have a captain who knows that through the storm, churches grow through the storms, through the turbulence, and we will land this plane. And we will get to our destination. But the voice of the captain is the one that says evacuate, not the voice of the passengers. But in church world, people have a sense of rumour instead of a sense of humour. We need our sense of humour back. Don't you reckon, church, we need a bit of joy back in the church and a bit of laughter because everybody's got a sense of rumour when there's a bit of turbulence. And God spoke to my heart and he said, the thing the Christian church is afraid of doing is evaluating. Why are we going through a storm? Why are we going through this? Why do we go through a storm in our marriage? Why do we go through a storm in life? You know, I've been through many storms in my life. And I want to say to you tonight, church, that As Christians, we've got to learn in this new era to evaluate and hear what God is saying, because he said he would build his church. We are not going to crash. It's not going to hit the ground. We will go through times of turbulence, but we will get to our destination on time. And I want to tell you, friends, if we learn to evaluate, we don't have to evacuate. And people evacuate churches every week because they think this thing's going to crash. People are surprised. When they look at our church today at Edge, people left us 10 years ago and prophesied that this thing's never going to take traction. We're not going in the right direction. We're spending too much money on the community, too much money on doing stuff with uh, the people out in the community, not taking care of the church enough. And now 22 years later, stronger than ever, heading in the direction God wants it to go because all we had to do was evaluate. We listen to stuff and go, oh, is what being said right? That's why I'm glad to be here because I'm being asked to evaluate. See where we're going wrong, Pastor Danny. See if there's anything we can change. And and I'm excited about your future. I hope you're as excited about your future as I'm excited about your future. Because it's not just the future of Generations Church. It's a new era for God's church. And God is shaking all that can be shaken so he can heal, not hurt. God never shakes to hurt. He shakes to heal. He never shakes to make us sad. He makes us glad because if he can take out of our lives the stuff that will block us from going to the next level, then what a gift that is from God. And so when I was at Marty's place yesterday, just got up, and I think you were in the room. I just pulled my phone out, and I wrote something that I hope you don't get offended by tonight, but I want you to test it, okay? And I just believe we have a new Jesus. Do you know there's more than one Jesus? I think every Christian invents a Jesus that fits into their lifestyle. We don't often rise to where Jesus is. We bring Jesus down to where we want him to be. And so while I was sitting in the lounge yesterday, just for a couple of seconds, a couple of moments, I just want to say, I want to read to you what I wrote. I wrote today, we have a Jesus that caresses us but doesn't correct us. We have a Jesus that loves us but doesn't lead us. We have a Jesus that connects with us but doesn't convict us. We have a Jesus that's given us a Bible for our devotional but the Bible is no longer a non-negotiable. Word of God should be a non-negotiable. It's not a book of suggestions. My life message is building according to pattern. When God spoke to Moses in, in the Old Testament, in, uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 20, and gives him the Ten Commandments, he says, these are the commandments that I'm giving you. They're not suggestions, they're commandments. And you must obey all these commandments. Do you know, God is a God of pattern. Chapter 20 is the pattern for life chapter 21 is the pattern for serving if you go to chapter 25 it's the pattern for giving if you go to chapter 26 it's the pattern for leadership and priesthood and how how we need to be set apart do you know what we've done in our modern Christianity we set people up for ministry rather than being set apart for ministry and we wonder why people crash oh you know pastor Danny do you know where there's a good church Yeah, I'm looking for a role. I feel called. I was in a church in Queensland two weeks ago, and a guy comes up to me after the meeting and says, I need to talk to you. I said, sure. He said, you need to know I'm an apostle. If you have to tell me, you're probably not. I'm an apostle, and can I ring you in the next couple of weeks because I believe God's told me you need to train me to be a stronger apostle because I'm called to the nations. He introduces me to his wife, and I felt like vomiting. Not, oh, sorry, that sounded really bad. Oh, sorry. I just realised, I know well, my head's going ahead of me, but you know, not, not, she was pretty. I mean, I'm not just saying I felt like vomiting because I met his wife. I said to the pastor of the church afterwards, why do I feel so sick in my stomach when I heard this guy tell me he's an apostle? He says, well, that's the woman he's had an affair with and he's left his wife, Right? He's left his wife, he's moved in with this woman, and that wife, his first wife, is in our church, but now she's got to go somewhere else because he's here. Walked out on his marriage, and he's had several affairs along the way, but he's an apostle. You know something? When our spirit is wrong, there's two things that affect most people. Money and morals. Morals. 2 Peter chapter 2 will tell you that. Then they start coming up with teachings, vain teachings to fulfil the lusts of their flesh. And I want to tell you, friends, I think it's good that we evaluate. Don't you think it's good that the church evaluates and go, we need to evaluate according to the Word of God, not according to our opinions. We need a Jesus that isn't just a devotional for us. He's a non-negotiable for us. The Word of God is a non-negotiable. We have a Jesus that's taught us how to dance but hasn't taught us how to take a stance. I mean, I can go to the youth rallies and dance around with the best of them. I can still handle a mosh pit. I can get on that stage and I'm not against any of that stuff. But man, we've got young people that know how to dance, but they can't take a stance. And I want to tell you, we need to get the real Jesus back to the church. And I got good news tonight. He's coming home. I Thank you, Jesus is coming back to truth honouring churches where we can honour the Word of God, build according to the Word of God. We don't burn people out. We don't use people and spit them out, but we will have the privilege of having, not as, having Jesus not as our landlord, but as the Lord of Lords, and it will be an honour. I want to serve him all the days of my life, whether the church pays me or not. It's not about that. I mean, I live by faith. Can you imagine being on a full salary, car provided, comfortable church going, Pastor Danny, we're happy to pay you and send you to the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit says to me one night, give all your money back. And live by faith like you did when you first went into the ministry because there's a new generation of entitled people that won't do anything unless they paid for it. Would you do what you do if you weren't paid for it? Most of the people in this room would say yes because that's what you don't get paid for it. Hey, you know, you better, you better not let that church use you. Do they pay you for what you do? Do you know how many people get called to ministries and then when they find out there's not enough money in it, they feel led? To go somewhere else. I feel lead, Pastor Danny. Well, here's a pencil. You can feel some lead if you want. But anyway, let's go. Let's move on. We have a Jesus that has taught us how to dance, but not how to take a stance. We have a Jesus that uh, we want to believe in, but we don't want to behave like him. See, believing in Jesus, you know when it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved? That word believe means to adhere and to stick to. It doesn't mean just to believe he exists. To believe Jesus means to follow Jesus, followership. And I believe with all my heart, this is good news tonight. If we want to build a um, God-honouring church, a truth-honouring church, we've got to get the right Jesus back into the picture. Do you know people have left Edge Church recently because Pastor Jonathan is preaching too much about Jesus? (laughs) I mean, how dumb can you be and still breathe, honestly? (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. We had the last carols night that they had at church. Pastor Jonathan said, I don't want it to be entertainment driven. I want it to be worship driven. Because if people from the community come to a show and then come back to the church next Sunday and see something totally different, it's not a reflection of who we are. So he said, why don't we just have worship, honour Jesus with carols, make it all about the gospel. Now, in that meeting was... A guy called Stephen Marshall, who's the leader of the Liberal Party in South Australia. Now, Stephen could become our next Premier. Now, let me say this to you. It was 30 years ago someone gave me a prophecy that I would be Daniel in Babylon having influence on the leaders of the day. I rang Stephen about three weeks ago because I got a friendship with him. And I said, Steve, I said, can I be helpful to you as a Christian leader If some of the people in your political party go through marriage problems or maybe some of your party go through depression or whatever and they go through challenges, like a bit of a chaplain, could I be helpful to you for free? And he goes, you'll do that. See, people only think the church is pointing the finger at all the things the world does wrong. But we're the light of the world. We're not just the light of the church. We're the salt of the earth, not just the salt of the church. But when you've got a good spirit and you've got the right Jesus, we've got something to give to our community. And he goes, Danny, let's get together. Let's talk about this. When I went for my operation, I took Steve with me to a pizza night about four nights before my operation where we had a meeting with non-Christian business people and Christian business people at a friend of mine's place for a pizza night I said Steve you could become our next leader I want you to come and I want these business people to talk to you about if you become the leader of our state how would you lead us and I remember Steve came along and he said I just want to hang out I don't want to do in a political conversation I don't want to do a political talk and then I said Steve can I interview you they said he said go for it I said Steve we don't trust politicians I said and we don't trust the media we just don't. And so what would you do to make this city of ours a better place? He really got quite moved. And he said to me, well, to be honest, after, until I met your church, I had no idea that people like you guys existed. But now that I know what you do for the community, the love you have and the way you do things together, he goes, I don't think I could lead South Australia without people like you helping me. He goes, If I ever became the leader, it's people like you that I want on board. And I thought, Well, isn't it great to be that kind of church? Because we've got the real Jesus. We haven't got Bless My Ministry, Jesus. I am an apostle. Give me a break. You can call me anything you like. As long as it's not late for dinner, I'll be happy. But, you know, um, and so when we got back to his house, I drove him home. I said to Steve, I said, Steve, can you pray for me? I said, Because I hear you're an Anglican. Now, he doesn't go to church as far as I know. He may. He's not professed knowing Jesus, but he's had Anglican roots. And so maybe he does know Jesus. I doubt it. But he, um, he says to me, oh, I'm an Anglican, high-end Anglican. And I said, well, will you pray for me? Because I'm having a major bowel operation, and I really do need a miracle. And he goes, well, God, listen to my Anglican prayers. And I said, well, what are they like? <laughs> and he says to me, well, I'll give you one of them. So We're sitting in the car and he's going, oh gracious, oh most high God, you know, the, the real high prayer thing, you know. And he's going through it and he goes to me, how are you going to pray? I said, you want to know how I'm going to pray? I said, I'll tell you how I'm going to pray. Help! <laughs> I said, that's, of, that's my prayer. Help! And I said, somewhere between yours and mine, maybe he'll listen. <laughs> when I came through the operation, I, I contacted him, I sent him a text. I said, Steve, God answered our prayers, yours and mine. You know, and it's it's that connection that you can have when the church is authentic, when the church is real. We're not out there to pretend. We're not there to get bums on seats. We're people to int- we want to introduce people to the real Jesus, not the Jesus that we invent that fits in with us, but a Jesus that is an awesome Jesus. That laying our lives down for Him doesn't burn us out; it burns us on, and we build truth honouring churches that reflect a passion and a joy and a love for Jesus. I pray that that. That will be your experience. But, you know, to be the church that carries that atmosphere, we've got to keep evaluating. We've got to keep asking, what's a healthy church? What does a healthy church look like? And so for a couple of minutes, I've got about 15, 20 minutes that I'll spend with you on this. I just want to look at this whole thing of what is a healthy church. Here we go. If you're taking notes, number one, a healthy church has got to be birthed by God. Or because I want to start everything with the same letter, you can just write on your notes, sovereignty. Sovereignty means just the lordship, the sovereign leadership of God. Churches don't start with us. They are birthed by God and then we cooperate. I don't know much about the history of this church in detail, but it's been how old? How many years? 80 years. And I would like to think that it was birthed out of the heart of God all those years. Because let me tell you what, God starts. I remember when we went to England and God told me 25, 30 years ago that one day we would have a church in England. I didn't know how that would happen. But 25, 30 years later, I'm in England and I'm now in a building. And this building, we were told, would never be available for rent. Now we've bought this building. In Bristol, England. Have you been there? In Bristol, England. And it's a church that the building seats about 1,500 people. It's a miracle. It's in a business park. And how did that happen? Well, when God told us to birth a church in Bristol, I remember going over to Bristol one time and four people asked to meet us. And they met us in a coffee lounge. There was only about four people, most of them over 70 years of age. They said, Pastor Danny, we don't have a pastor in Bristol we're part of a group in Bristol with the assemblies of God and we don't have a pastor we've been praying and we heard you're starting a church in Bristol we would like to join you and we want to give you a check for 740,000 pounds really I got a bit scared I thought what do you want and they said no strings attached I said, but our church has, you know, modern music and it's creative and you come from a very traditional church and you might give us this money, come to the church, don't like it. They go, no, God spoke to us. We knew you were coming. And, you know, that money became the deposit to buy that building in Bristol. Supernatural. But you know what happened? I was in the building praying one day in England and I started crying and I said, God, why have you blessed us with this? Why is this so powerful? Why is this so good? I'm not good enough for this. And he said this to me, because it's virgin birth. It's the same as sovereignly born of God. It was started in heaven. The seed started from God. It wasn't a good idea. It was a God idea. And I realised that God had put his hand on this. And it was only a year later we, You know that uh, Tim Costello from World Vision was in London. He rings me and he goes, Danny, I'm in London. Uh, I want to come and see your Bristol building. And as he walked into the building, he teared up. And he goes, you know, I believe God has spoken to me that John Wesley started a work in the UK that your church is going to finish for further generations. And as I walked into your building, I saw the spirit of, I felt the spirit of John Wesley. And I go, wow, this is Tim Costello. Now, a few nights later, we're in John Wesley's chapel, which happens to be in Bristol. The guy who started the Methodist church. Think about it. Method. What is the vision for Edge Church? Pattern. Same thing. The pattern of God's Word. And as I went into John Wesley's chapel, and I think I might have shared some of this before here, and I went to the bedroom where he used to sleep, and I went round and I had a look at the vision statements on the wall. They were an exact mission statement. Exact mission statement that we have. And you think, God started this. One of the ladies, she said to me, we want to give this money when we... Winding back when they gave the money. And she goes, I only have one condition. My husband is not a Christian. And I'd love him to come to Christ. And as we hand this money over and we join this church, she goes, I'm getting old. And she goes, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell all the people that prayed for a church in Bristol to rise up who have died and gone ahead of us that it actually happened. When I get to heaven, I'm going to tell them the stories. But then she talked about her husband. She goes, my husband, we've been married for 40 years and and he just won't come to church. He's not interested. And I remember going to Bristol now, a couple of years down the track. And one day while I'm preaching in Bristol, that man gave his life to Christ. Two weeks later, he gets baptised. And four days later, he died. And you think, wow, wow, wow. And answered a prayer to that lady who was believing all those years, he came to faith. Let me tell you, friends, you can't make that stuff happen because you've got a good idea. It's got to be born of God. And so for a church to be healthy, it's got to be, number one, sovereignly born of God. If a church is sovereignly born of God, number two, it must be spiritual. How can you have something that's born of God that isn't spiritual? I'm dealing with churches every week and you'll be shocked at how lack of spirituality. There's not what would Jesus do if we've got a conflict. Do you know there's four sides to every story? I think I started that this morning, didn't finish it. If I've got an issue with Marty, there's my side of the story. There's your side of the story, Marty. Then there's everybody else's opinion who get bits and pieces of stories. And then there's the truth. And if you are a genuine Christian, you'll never stop at one side of the story. If you're a genuine Christian, you go, well, I've heard that side of the story and that side of the story and I've heard the gossip. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus want? How do we get to the truth? Because let me tell you, that's the heart of reconciliation. The Bible says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've got Christians that want a ministry But they don't want the ministry of reconciliation. And the spirit of reconciliation should be natural in every Christian to be able to bring together because we're not just sovereignly born of God. We are spiritual. To be spiritual means to desire truth, to trust God's truth, to teach God's truth, and to train people with God's truth. I've tried to do that for 22 years at Edge Church. Opinions, we've all got them. They're like armpits. We've all got opinions like our armpits and they stink. And, uh, and so, you know, sometimes we run with our opinions, but we, you didn't laugh at that. I thought that was funny. Anyway, okay, so sovereignly born of God. Uh, 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 what do you call it? A healthy church is spiritual. But number three, it needs to have a strong culture. What are you called to be? What are your non-negotiables? Do you know how many people have left Edge Church because we spent too much money on money? Too much money on money. Too much money on food when we should have been given the money to missions. And now we're one of the most giving church to missions in this country because people came into our church through hospitality and felt loved and felt affirmed and and through the money that was spent on hospitality, people are giving millions to missions where on any any giving year now, it's over a million dollars that's just given in one-off offerings. And yet people left our church. Remember the guy who goes in, his name was Judas. And he goes into the room where the woman pours out the perfume over Jesus. There was more than one stink in that room. It wasn't just the perfume of what she poured over Jesus. It was the stinky attitude of Judas that the issue was about money. And he goes, we shouldn't be wasting this perfume. We should sell it and go and give the money to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He was stingy. And I want to tell you, for years... People left our church because we were wasting money on this and spending too much money on signage, spending too much money on this. But there was the right why behind our what. God spoke to my heart. He said, I want you to build a church that prophesies. And when people drive down the highway, even though they don't ever put foot in your church, what they see when they look at your building prophesies and speaks into their lives that this is a place of hope. And this is a place that can give people their visions back. And so I began to realise with all my heart that God was giving us a culture that was non-negotiable and you've got to know who you are and who you're not. If I can be this directive as you've given me permission to speak into the life of the church, I think this is a new era, Marty, for you and your team to sit down and say, this is what we're not. This is what we're not. This is what we're not. Because sometimes you'll never find out who you are until you realise what you're not. I know what I am and I know what I'm not. I'm not Tim Hall. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a power ministry, but I am a prophetic voice. So I know what God's called me to be and I'm just happy in my skin. There's plenty of it, but I'm happy in my skin. And I want to say it's important to have strong, clear Culture. What is the non-negotiables of our church? If it's sovereign born of God, it must be spiritual. Trusting the word of God. If it's spiritual, it has a strong culture. And then that leads to number four, a sense of a clear mission. A clear mission. We're called to give to this. We're called to build that. We're called to do that. We're not called to do everything. Oh, whenever... These days, I look at what Edge is doing around the world. It's because we stopped giving to things out of guilt and we started to give in things out of conviction. And as we did, that began to grow. And I wish I had time to show you a video tonight of when Tim Costello, and I've never showed it to our church. I've got it here with me. I'll give it to Marty. And it's a video of Tim sending a message to our church. I never got to show it, that in um, Bulawayo in Zimbabwe, the area where our church focused the mission of the place we were able to build 900 latrines 900 toilets so people would have sanitation and also land where they could plant their crops and for the first time in the history of the visiu area i can't remember the i can't pronounce the area no one's died of cholera because of what was done Did you know the Australian government gave us $6,000 for every $2,000 we raised? to be able to go in and build toilets. But you know, will this church get on board with my mission for India? Will this church get on board with my... No, the church is not meant to get on board with people's missions. The people are supposed to get on board with the church's mission because together we find out what God's called us to do and we can do a lot more together than on our own. And we've seen multiplication of breakthrough because we have a sense of clear mission. The next one is set patterns. What I mean for that is a revival of structure. See, structure can control people or structure can bring clarity to where we go as a church. I've been talking to Marty this afternoon about we need to write down. Now, I'm I'm not giving direction to you because there's different ways we can do this. But one of the ways I'm helping churches right now is to have like uh, staff manuals that make it very clear on what people's God shape is. See, I don't believe just in job descriptions or titles. I believe in ministry profiles. See, every one of you in this room is shaped differently spiritually. you know, And you might do four things really, really well. Well, let's find out what they are and let's grow you. You know, it was, it was Joshua at 110 who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what we do in church life today because we can't get volunteers? As for me and my house, will you serve the Lord? Do you know if people love Jesus, they should never need to hear a sermon on commitment. If he really isn't the landlord and he's the Lord of lords, we're saved by grace to serve. We're not saved by serving. We're saved by grace to serve, and it's an honour, and it's a privilege. So what should happen in every church, if Jesus was the real Jesus in the church, what should happen is in every church, and you guys are an example of that tonight, is you decide with your family what it looks like to serve the Lord for you. Then our job as leaders is to equip you for that. Leaders, people in the church as say, Pastor Danny, I've got a couple of nights a week. I'd love, to, I'd love to serve God. What do you think, Pastor Danny, is my God shape? You know, I have sat. Look, look, I am so open. I've sat with some of the people in this church in the last two days. I've never felt more excited about the clean motives in this house. I've never felt more excited about the young people and the people I've spoken to. We just love Margo and Marty and we just want to serve. We don't care where it is, Pastor Danny. We just want to want to help get this place to where God wants it. What a beautiful attitude! Yeah. What a wonderful approach! Because it doesn't matter where they put me, Danny. Uh, you know, this is where I think my strengths are. Do you know why I gave the church to Jonathan? Because we have generational responsibility. Each generation should hand over to the next responsibility. I go to churches all over Australia where people who have been in the worship department for 20 years don't want to lose their position. And so instead of thinking of what's best for the church, it's what's best for my gift. Do you know something? We've all got to die to self every day. You know. And I hand over to church when I could have gone for 10 more years. I could have gone for 15 more years. It was great offerings coming in, over $100,000 a week coming into the offerings great staff, been through all the rubbish, church is back on track, and God says, hand it over. Why didn't you tell me to hand it over when I was sick of it? You're telling me to hand it over when it's going great. And he said to me, because... You have generational responsibility. Pastor Jonathan Fontana Rosa was about to turn 40 years of age. And God said, if you hand the church over to him when he's 50, he's going to be exhausted and tired, and you're going to be too old, and he's going to be too old. But if you hand it over now, I will give you 20 years to help pastors and churches, or the next 20 years of your life helping other people, giving your life away, and he's young enough and old enough, mature enough, and in touch with what's going on enough to lead the church so i didn't do what was best for danny i did what was best for the kingdom and god looks after danny when i asked god do i have to give up my salary and he said yes and i thought it was indigestion or pizza the night before but it wasn't and and i realized that god's really saying this my wife and i i'd like to say we felt such presence (laughs) the anointing shekinah come flying down through the air conditioning vents as we're in our back room, oh, there it is. I can feel it now. I got depressed. I thought, God, how am I going to pay the bills? I'm 61 and I'm not old enough to get the pension. But I'm too young to give up work. How am I going to pay the bills? And God said, well, what happened when I first called you into the ministry? And you stepped out in faith. And went to Bible college not knowing how you were going to pay the bills. So this last hill song." was the very first time, it was my very first week, I'd been with Marty and Margot at an event uh, in wherever it was, in uh, Hawkesbury, and that was my first week starting out by faith. My wife, Sharon, said, you need to go to Hillsong. I said, why? I don't want to go. I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. I don't want to go i go to Hillsong, i get really sick. I thought I was having a heart attack on the first day. It was a chest infection, but I had all chest pains and pains down my arm and I had to call a doctor in and I stayed in bed all day, missed out. Why did God tell me to come? The next morning, the Holy Spirit says, you need to get out of bed and go to the conference. So I got out of bed, I went to the conference, I walked in the front door and a man comes up to me. He goes, Pastor Danny, do you know, remember my face? I said, yeah, I do. I said, are you from Mark von Blankency's church in Tasmania? He goes, yeah, that's me. He said, can I talk to you for a minute? My wife's here. She was in a wheelchair. She's been through a major strokes. And we went off to the corner where there was a little part area at the, um, at the conference for people that were disabled. And we went there and sat and had a coffee. He goes, Pastor Danny, God woke me up one night and spoke to me and said, my wife and I, we run our own business and we've been very successful in business. And God's told us, we need to sponsor you $10,000 a year. I go, wow. Thank you. I mean, I got pretty teary because I think, you know, you can't structure that, can you? You can't make that happen. So as I get up and I start walking away, as I'm walking away, a pastor from Melbourne comes up to me. He goes, Pastor Danny, can I talk to you? I didn't realise I'd bump into you. Let's go and have a coffee. So we went and had a coffee. We're sitting down. I was a lot of coffees that day. (laughs) I'm sitting down having a coffee. I think I was having chamomile tea, to be honest, and he was having the coffee. We finished talking, I thought it was over and as I get up to walk away he goes, oh, by the way I'm going to send you a cheque for $10,000 this week. He said, God's told me that we need to get on board with what you're doing to help churches. I go, really? Then there's a guy called Ben Windle who's on my board. He's going to be on my board for Pattern Builders, that's my new ministry called Pattern Builders. He comes down with his wife. I start telling him the stories and he tears up and he goes, isn't that God that when you say amen to Jesus, he goes ahead of you and prepares the way. We go into the Pullman Hotel, you know where it is, and we're sitting there. And as I'm sitting there, two minutes later, Brian Houston walks in. Hey, Googie, how are you going? And I said, hey, Brian, how are you doing? He says, thanks for coming to conference. I said, oh, it's an honour to be here. And I think if you knew what was just happening, I'm really happy to be here. It's really, really good. But I didn't tell him anything. And he goes, you know, I'm I'm listening to people around the country telling me what you're doing, you know, like what you're doing in helping churches. And he goes, "Uh, Bobby and I are going to support you. And that week sends me a check for ten thousand dollars. I mean, that's better than a poke in the eye with a blunt stick, really, eh? I mean, you know, you know, thirty thousand dollars in a few moments. Really, it's not about the money. I gave up my salary. I gave up all that stuff. And I started to get a little bit fearful. But let me tell you, I started this journey with sovereignty. I started this journey with spirituality. I started this journey as a young kid with a real sense of trust that God would put patterns in my life, set patterns. He would give me the right structures that I would need. And here I am a, a living witness to that. And so since then, there's been about 10 other churches that a little bit here, a little bit there, saying we're called to sponsor you. And so that if you get sick and you can't travel and you're not getting love offerings that the church, smaller churches can't afford, at least you've got a bit of a base there that can keep you going. And I'm going, wow. So this week I get a phone call from someone that's very close to me. He goes, my wife and I have been blessed in business. we got lots of money and my wife's bored at home. Do you need a PA? We don't want any money. We want to get on board with your ministry. So next week I start with a new PA. That's pretty good, eh? Come on, I think we should give Jesus a clap for that. And so, you see, if a church is sovereignly born of God, it is spiritual. If it's spiritual, it will build a strong culture. If it builds a strong culture, it will have a sense of clear mission. If it has that, it will build set patterns. And I've proven that. You see, Ezekiel had to breathe on dry bones in Ezekiel 37 if a church doesn't have supernatural structure you can't stick any flesh to it it started with bones it didn't start with flesh and I believe right now we are coming out listen to me because this is all going to come together in just a couple of minutes and and, and we're nearly done but you know I believe we've gone from one extreme to the other the Pentecostal church started by trusting the Holy Spirit power of God The anointing of God. For the last 20, 30 years, we've trusted management skills. And a lot of the time, the Holy Spirit's not needed. Because if we've got the right business manager, we've got the right this, and we can cross the T's and dot the I's. And so we've gone through a season of building it without God. And you know, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain those who what? Build it. It doesn't say they don't build it. They still build it. But it says they stay up late at night and get stressed. Why is it that 1,700 pastors a month are resigning in the ministry? Because they're building it. Because if God's building the house, He says He gives His children rest. I said to Marty and Margo today, I was in Bible school in 1983, where my principal said to me, Pastor, not Pastor, I wasn't Pastor then, he said, Danny, one day you'll be a pastor, and you need to develop a godly carelessness. Do your best, and then trust God with the rest. Don't stay up and get stressed. Because otherwise you're not trusting God. And I want to tell you, we've been attacked in the media. We've gone through stuff. Talk about turbulence. We really did think we were going to crash. But each time I evaluate and say, am I still on board with what God called me to build? God, am I still got humility in my life and I'm not up myself? For a man wrapped up in himself makes a very small parcel. And so I realise that all of a sudden, you know, if I obey God... I don't have to be as stressed. I trust him because the definition of success is obedience. And then when you have those supernatural structures, and I believe this church is about to hit a realm of that that's going to be really beautiful. Mark my words. And then there's two more points and, uh, and then a couple of subpoints. Okay, real quick. The next one is synergy. A few years ago, it seemed like every week someone was leaving the church. And one night I had a dream. And I had a dream of a massive water pipe. And the water was just trickling. Trick, 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 trick. And I said to the Lord, what's that? He said, the pipe is large, has the capacity to pour out a lot of water, but it's corroded. And all the inside of the pipe is so corroded that the water can just keep dripping. He says, but Danny, I'm about to blow those pipes out. Get rid of the corrosion and then the water will pour out. That's when God gave me those words, sift, shift and lift. God can't lift us to our destiny if he can't shift us to take us there. And to do that, he's got to sift us. And it's just something that are not just nice words. They are words from God because we cannot... A lot of what we call unity is uniformity. We don't need uniformity. We need synergy of our diversity, Everyone in this room's got a different gift. We're all different God shapes. We're all different and we all need to be released into our God shape, not to build Generations Church, but to be the person God put you on the planet to be. And as you become the person on the planet, God called you to be Generations Church will be built. Can you see the difference? We're not just called to serve at the church, but if we're called by God to be in our God's shape. We will serve the church, but we're serving the church because we love the God of the church, not just because we love the church. So many people leave churches because they loved them once, don't love them anymore. But you can't leave if it's God's church, if Jesus is the boss. And so there's a synergy, a unity of our diversity. And the last one, and I'm nearly done, is same heart. Second. Corinthians, let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You answer the question for me tonight. If a church doesn't have this at its core, in its leaders, we're in deep yogurt. We really are. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Paul is sending Titus to the Corinthians. When I urged Titus to visit you and sent our other brother with him, Did Titus take advantage of you? No. For we have the same spirit. We walk in each other's steps, doing things the same way. That's called DNA. The word DNA, God spoke to me, says it's a divine natural alignment. DNA. A divine natural alignment. For we have the same spirit, walk in each other's steps, doing things the same way. As a young boy serving Jesus, the Holy Spirit took me to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and it says, And Daniel purposed in his heart, not in his head, not to defile himself with the king's food. Because of time, I'm finishing, listen to this, you cannot work for Jesus unless you walk with Jesus. He decided in his heart to not defile himself and walk with Jesus. David was a man who made lots of mistakes, committed adultery. What a mess. But he said, created me a clean heart. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. I didn't realise this was called um, heartbeat. But I want to tell you, friends, God's been challenging me that we've got to get the heart back to the church because the heart is the why behind what we do. So if you have a heart to walk with God, you'll have a heart to worship God. I cannot understand. Please don't be offended tonight. I do leave tomorrow morning, but please. (laughs) I cannot understand how people stand in church during worship and never open their mouth to sing. What appreciation do we have for Jesus? Man, I go into some churches and the worship is electric and it was fantastic this morning. And you turn around and there's people either sitting down when everybody else is standing, arms folded, And you think, you love Jesus, but not that much. Come on. Because if we loved him that much... And would you sit if he was physically in the room? If Jesus was physically in the room, would we... you know how many worship teams get discouraged because they have such great worship at rehearsal and then when they get to Sunday, the synergy isn't there because people aren't locking in? Now, I'm not saying that to you guys, but I am. I'm saying it to all of us. See, if you have a heart to walk with God... Like David, you'll have a heart to worship God, even if your life's got some messes in it. But then, Nehemiah chapter 2, he goes out in the middle of the night to see what God had put in his heart. You see, if you walk with God, you'll have no trouble worshipping God. And if you worship God, you'll have no trouble working with God. He went out in the middle of the night to see what God had put in his heart. We've been engaging too many heads without engaging the heart. It's got to start with a heart, it goes to our head, comes out through our hands. It's heart, head, ooh, that hurt, hands. Heavenly Father tonight, heart for the house, heartbeat. I thought it was an English show on Channel 2. I've watched it a few times called Heartbeat, but it's a bit different to this heartbeat. Father, I thank you tonight for this new era for Generations Church. Heavenly Father... May we build a healthy model of what it is to have the real Jesus back in the church. We don't want you as our devotional without having you as our directional. Father, it's not perfection, it is direction. I thank you for these awesome people. And I pray that you will energise them not to serve the landlord, but to serve the Lord of lords. May it be a privilege and not a price. May we enjoy it, not endure it. And Father, may we serve you with our walk. May we serve you with our hands, may we serve you with our heads, and may we serve you with our hearts, with our walk, our worship, and our work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that was encouraging. Thank you.